So we are continuing on with part six in the study of James. Uh, last week we finished the James 3, uh, 1 through 12, and we talked about the importance of taming our tongue. You know, we, we learned about, you know, the responsibility of teachers, uh, the power of the tongue, the potential of evil of the tongue, the untamable nature of the tongue, as well as the inconsistency of our tongue. Uh, going forward today, we're going to talk about wisdom, James uh, 13 through, James 3, 13 through 18. Um, so I'm just going to start, and we're just going to read the first part today, this morning. James 3.13, who is wise with understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be a dis- there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what we want to talk about first is that, um, you know, 3.13 where it talks about showing you know, just the show of wisdom. In 13, who is wise and understanding among you? You know, it seems that many in James' readers wanted to be teachers because of the honor of that position. And, of course, many boasted of that great wisdom in 3.1. Now, James is challenging them to prove that they are truly wise individuals. Um, what is, I mean, what do you think is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Or what are some examples of differences between wisdom and knowledge? Well, you can have a degree in, in uh, engineering, and I see it didn't have much, much wisdom involved with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think of knowledge as like book knowledge, and wisdom as you have the experience to know a lot, like the experience. From past that goes along with that education you have also. Yeah. yeah. Mark, I always think wisdom is knowing what to say and knowledge is knowing when to say. That's really good. Now, I, I kind of read a, uh, this example, which I thought was pretty interesting, is, you know, we, we can name some fruits. We, we can name, you know, apples, bananas, grapes, kiwi, pineapple, oranges, passion fruit, and tomatoes. That's the knowledge. But wisdom tells us we don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. <laughs> now, I can't take credit for that. That's Mr. Roper. <laughs> you know, knowledge is knowing, obviously, that, you know, tomatoes are fruit, and wisdom is knowing that we don't, you know, put tomato in that fruit salad. Um, as far as, you know, when we think of wisdom, the world has many different ways to kind of measure that in, you know, worldly terms. Um, you know, we have an IQ test that measures our intelligence. We have paper tests for how many degrees 
or lack of degrees we have. Uh, verbal tests where we can demonstrate our shrewd mind with our sharp tongue. Um, what James says is that the test that matters, though, is the life test. You know, can we, can you show by your good life that you are truly wise? You know, and there is a way to, there is a way for us to tell if we're truly wise. James says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's when I was researching the meaning of meekness, it was kind of interesting um, with the worldly idea of what meekness is. There's kind of, in different uh, descriptions that I was thinking about that, like the online Oxford Dictionary says, meekness is quiet, gentle, easily imposed on a submissive. And I don't, obviously I don't think that describes what spiritual meekness is as far as what's said in the word. I mean, meekness is not weak. The worldly idea of meekness just seems like it's very passive, weak-willed, does it, is willing to just follow and submit versus, you know, under, you know, in, instead of having purpose or diligence and knowing, you know, what we believe and what we're thinking about. So I, I found this, a spiritual meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with his own ways, ideas, and wishes. They are willing to put themselves in second place and submit themselves to achieve what is good for others. Meekness is therefore the antithesis of self-will, self-interest, and self-assertiveness. Does anyone else have any ideas of or uh, uh, ideas of meekness in their in their words as far as what they think meekness is? The trial and uh, uh, crucifixion of Jesus. You want to put it this way? He cranked out the meekness in that. By all rights, he could have really come down on that situation, but he was very humble, very meek, and allowed allowed it to take place. Yep, yep. So, meek um, is a word that the Greeks used to refer to a horse that had been broken to ride. It signified harnessed and directed strength. One writer calls it a gentle strength. The truly wise person has nothing to prove to the world. He can be meek, humble, and unassuming. In the last verse, verse 13, in meekness of wisdom, does true wisdom make one proud? Or, I guess the question is, when we, when we read uh, the last part of 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of the wisdom. Does true wisdom make one proud? No. So the remainder of the chap the remaining of this the remainder of this chapter, he contrasts true wisdom and the wisdom so called. Uh, James three, fourteen through sixteen. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In verse fourteen. Are we doing these things because they are right or because we're seeking all over good 
or is self-ambition our motive? If a person has jealousy, selfish ambition, strife in their hearts, and yet boasting about his wisdom, they are then lying against the truth in that that he is not wise. So as we know that James is talking about teachers and challenging them in their motives and teaching, I think, you know, when we understand James, who he's writing to, but then we think about the biblical, the practical application that we can apply to that, but there's so many other areas in our lives that we, that we can use the text that we apply to ourselves, uh, live, you know, just living in this world. But some things that, some questions that we could ask ourselves is, you know, why am I teaching or why am I working for the company I work, um, what am I working for, the Lord? And these are, you know, questions that we ask ourselves as far as, you know, what are our motives in what we're doing? And we kind of question where our heart is in these things. So if, if we have these qualities in our heart, you know, for doing these things for the wrong reasons, should we be boasting about our wisdom? Um, you know, James 1.5 James has already said that true wisdom comes from God. In verse 15, James is saying that true wisdom, or is saying that this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So how did how did James know that? that this wisdom is not true wisdom. Because it doesn't move you to basically demonstrate the qualities that God want, wants us to have. Mostly, mostly earthly wisdom seems to lead you to look out for yourself above all things. Or at least... Uh, I'll word it this way. I th- it, it definitely, it, it seems like the, in our culture, it, it, anyways, it, it seems to lead you to do that. Look out for you first, and then everybody else comes second. Uh, where God wants us to uh, wants us to look out for others and help others uh, others uh, first uh, ahead of you know. Her own interest, her own game. Yep. Uh, referring to referring to the scripture, uh, not only in fourteen but also in verse sixteen, it keeps going back to using the term self-seeking. Yeah. It says, "If it's self-seeking, it is of the earth. It is not a heavenly thing." Yes. And uh, so David uh, re- uh, alluded to that by basically saying, "Yes." If we're thinking about ourself, if it's all about self-seeking, then it's not connected with the right thinking. So, and I think it's interesting with you know James. Obviously, he's focused on he, you know he he talks about teaching and the importance. And you know if we're if if I'm teaching, and my heart is wrong, I mean what what am I really teaching? Do I have the best interest of those that are coming to learn? From what I have to say, and then of course we apply that to many other different things. With you know my job, if my heart's not in the right place, what you know, what am I really producing for the company I work? And we could go on and on and on. 
So what you know, obviously, what's important to be reminded here is that if one heart's one, if one's heart isn't right, it's, is it possible for every kind of sin to result? And yes, I mean, if we don't have a right heart, that's what a breeding point for everything else that's that's not right that comes from that. So we're reminded with Proverbs four twenty three: keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So we talked about worldly wisdom. Now let's talk about heavenly wisdom. So in contrast to above, James is saying that true wisdom has seven qualities. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James finally concludes that true wisdom is based from its fruits, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we've understand the idea of what worldly wisdom is. We see what James says and where true wisdom comes from, and now we can kind of look at, you know. Um, the, the warning of this world, worldliness in James 4, 1 through 10. So in chapter 3, James notes that the source of peace in chapter... Is, we, in chapter 3, James notes the source of peace. In chapter 4, James continues in reading to ask about the source opposite of peace. So we talk about, in verse 1 and 4, the curse of worldliness... What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In verse 4, you adulterous people, do, not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity of God or with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of the world. You know, what is being said, I mean, obviously... We're at war with God, or it talks about being at war with God in verse 4. In verse 1, it talks about war with others. You know, it could be the church. And then, of course, I think the one thing that rings bells in me is that we're a lot of times we're at war with ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, uh, <coughs> so... What is the the cause of worldliness? Let's read verses 1 through 5. What causes quarrel, excuse me. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. 
So all that is necessary to be worldly. And I think, you know, Sam and David talked about this. It's to elevate oneself. You know, in verse 1, 1 and 2, it talks about, you know, we want things for self. Uh, verse 2, elevate self above God. Think of only self in prayers, verse 3, and then allow self to be deceived by the world, verse 4. I think this has been pretty heavy when you think when you read this stuff and you're looking in this mirror and you think about how easily it is to put, you know, to put oneself first and you know, I have to speak about myself, and that's so easy where I'm thinking about work or I'm thinking about my next vacation or I'm thinking about that greatest new toy that I want to, you know, buy with. And I guess the other thing that I think about is, you know, this was written several years ago, and it's still just as apl applicable today as it was back then. And it, I, I think about, it gives me assurance, confidence when I think about absolute truth and knowing what was true yesteryear was true yesterday is true today and what will be true tomorrow. Now you realize you're saying some things that just don't line up with a lot of the world right now because the scripture right now has been, has been looked at now as in it's not applicable in our time. Uh, they don't see the scripture as transcending time, that it is, uh, it was written uh, in the fact that uh, it would apply to us the same as it would then. So. Well, you know, we talk about, I just <clears throat> mentioned absolute truth, the opposite of absolute is relative, and that's where we are today. You know, I'm really fortunate that God's opened my eyes and that when I look at scripture, I trust it. I may not understand it. But I don't, not for a second, think that it's not true. I don't think that I have to understand everything. But today, if man doesn't want to, if they don't understand, then if they think like, well, we have to change it to fit where we're at today. And they don't want to trust. And, you know, um, I guess it just, so when we move on to chapter Four, verse 5 through 10, you know, what is the cure for worldliness? I think, um, let's read verse 5 through 10. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But it gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You, you double be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to the gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, when I, um, 
I guess there was many different people read ver- or chapter or verse five, and they have different ideas of what that is. Um, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I guess I think of that as, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit grieves because, obviously, you know, God wants us to trust and accept Him, and so that Spirit grieves when we are living in worldly ways. But He gives more grace, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we we humble ourselves, we are submitting ourselves to the Lord and being obedient to what Christ says. And so when we do that, when, you know, God gives us grace. In verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, if we're accepting Christ and we're being obedient, we know that, you know, the devil has no power of us. We have you know, with God's grace, we can seek Him and not give in to the worldly ways. Draw near to God and He will draw near us. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, Verse 9, it's kind of interesting because when we, we go back to chapter 1, and we talk about counting all joy. You know, God wants us to know, obviously, we can, with whatever trials, temptations we have, we can reach out to God. We can ask, we can have His help, and we can be joyful as we are learning, as we're being trained, as we're learning to, you know, be that person that God wants us to be, but at the same time, you know, when it comes to worldliness, we have to be very careful of sin that we, it's not a laughing matter. Like, the sin that we have in our lives, if we don't curtail that, and we're not seeking God, and we're not repentant, and we're not uh, being obedient, that sin in our lives can just, can run wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what is the cure for worldliness? In verse 6, we accept God's grace. In verse 7, we want to be obedient to God. In verse 8, become more like God. And verse 9, 10, humble oneself before God. And so, kind of... Continuing on with what Sam and David were talking about, how, you know, the, the, the root issue with worldliness is that we want to follow our own wisdom. We want to partake in the world. But then the opposite of that is that if we aren't, are not to be worldly, we need to pursue and seek God more in our lives. We need to be obedient So let's read uh, James 4, 11 through 17. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But but who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will get into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So again, this is, you know, talking about, you know, I see it as I can spend my time worrying about everybody else and I can create issues. And of course, what am I doing? I'm making things about myself. Or I can be a doer of the word and I can look at what applies to me and trust God with what he's showing me. And then, you know, further it talks about boasting and that we want to, and someone can make some comments on this. When we're boasting about tomorrow, it means we're not worrying about today. I'm not worrying about what I'm doing today. And I guess I could further that and think that I'm, you know, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing today because my mind's always on tomorrow. This chapter went a little bit faster than the rest. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions or, or comments as far as uh, worldliness? Any insight uh, as far as how you, I mean, what, what do you think of worldliness and how that applies to how you live today? I mean, what are, how does it, how does living godly affect you in the daily world as far as just in general? How does it, how does it affect your actions or how does it affect what are some things that you do or don't do when you think of the contrast between living godly and living in the world? It definitely is an ongoing struggle. I don't think I don't know that any of us have got it down to where it's a it's a done deal. I think it's something we have to work on constantly. Um, we we need to be reminded with these lessons like this of what we where we need to be. Kind of jumping back to one of the things you touched on early on, and I really liked because I've used that example before in class about talking about meekness. Um, was going to say was. You know, we there are certain terms you've got to remember, and the examples that was being made during the biblical times made perfect sense to them that we may struggle with now a little bit. doesn't change what's being said. For instance, using that term meekness, 
if you go back to say, what did the Greeks refer to it as? They talked about it like a horse, okay? Mm -hmm. And they looked at it and they called it meek. And I like that because if you look at strength and courage and all these different things that it stands for, but it's bridle, it's controlled. And I think that's a perfect example. It would have meant so much to them because they knew that's what the Greeks referred to as, whereas we don't. And I think that's a great one to remember, though, because we don't we, we don't even look at a horse like that and would think, oh, he's very meek, would we? No. Yeah. And you already touched on it. I think the world we live in looks at the term meek as weak. Yeah. Doug? <clears throat> You're talking about how we, the decisions we make about the world. Um, and this is a small, well, uh, it's, I mean, I made a decision this in the last month or two or three or four or whatever that uh, to stop dish, not subscribe to Disney World Plus or Disney Plus. Okay, I mean it's just they've gone so far, and I really like some of their movies. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking this or not, but the, the idea is that that too. I just refuse to give my money to an organization that is so worldly. Yeah. So just that, you know, the decision we make, what's going to be coming in, I, I didn't want that part of my life anymore. Todd? In response to meekness, though, when you look at a horse, meekness also is trained. Mm. A wild horse is not meek. <laughs> we, who are meek, are also trained through the Bible. Mm -hmm. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And that's where wisdom comes in. That's yeah. part of that is sometimes, a lot of times, I, I think one of the things that we also struggle with is the the idea that wisdom is something that you only get after a a very long time. I don't think it's, it's wisdom is about age, wisdom is about experience and study. And, yeah. and it's about your ability to continually put things in practice, which is what James is so much about. It's about putting things in practice and, and, and doing things in your life and working towards uh, the, the goal that God has given us. And every time you do something, you succeed or fail, you gain a, a more wisdom in what you're doing. And that's why once you get a level of experience on something, we're told, and you can be very meek because you don't, you don't need to tell everyone, this is how you're supposed to do it. Your experience tells you, I, I know what I need to do. I know what God has told me I need to do. Yes. And through the training that I've had through Scripture, and um, I, I don't need to explain that to everyone. I, I can, I just do this. I don't need to explain it to myself. I don't need to explain it to everyone around me. I just do what I need to do. Yep, absolutely right. We have a horse that lacks meekness. When I think about uh, um, wisdom, too, I remember a verse that was mentioned a few years ago, Proverbs six, six. I'm sorry, Proverbs twenty six four. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest I also become like him. Well, the very next verse says. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Wisdom is 
knowing when to answer and when not to answer. I can't tell you that because I'm an example of many times if you get on my Facebook, you'll know that. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, sometimes there's a good time to answer and sometimes there's not. Mm -hmm. And wisdom is that applied knowledge of that. Yes, you know, I've, I've been with my company for 16 years. And to this day, I've had lots of practice. You know, if something happens and I want to toot my own horn and I want to, I want someone to hear what I have to say, even though but wisdom tells me it's best if I just keep my mouth shut, pray about it, and then revisit it later. And I think um, it, it's interesting working through James. And, it's, you know, when I read this section on worldliness, it just tells me how much more, like I should be reading James every day, <laughs> you know. Um, oh no, I'd lose confidence if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a nugget to hand you here. Um, <clears throat> my apologies. I didn't. Uh, in, uh, earlier, whenever we were talking about meekness, I didn't catch where, where you were, and I just, and I realized that where your version says uh, it says meekness, you know, talking about what that means. Uh, I'm in the NIV, and it you know, uses humility right there in verse 13. Yes. Uh, so I, I guess that's another way that it could be worded a little bit. And then that, I, I think that kind of fits with some of what we've been talking about here. Cause it, 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 you do have to be uh, humble. Because uh, I, th I think uh, you have to... When you start, uh, we were talking about it a minute ago, there's little decisions that we make, I think, probably daily on some of this stuff. Like, even whenever uh, you get into business, he, talk, he later talks about conducting business in Chapter 4. Um, I mean, even if you're... you're Doing, doing business, the way you conduct it, it speaks uh, like are you are you conducting business in a way that you're you're honestly wanting to make sure that the person that's doing business with you gets some benefit out of it, or or do you are you just looking out for what that what that's going to do for you and and whatever they get out of it that's Great, but you're not concerned with that. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is not about meekness <laughs> or wisdom, um, but we're talking about worldliness here and how to deal with it. And um, just in the last couple of weeks in our fourth or sixth grade class, um, I taught a lesson on the temptation of Jesus. And... Um, in, in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I, we try to give the kids very practical things, you know, to help them um, with whatever we're learning. And um, I, my husband years ago shared a book with me. But anyway, the, the gist of our, the application of our lesson that day 
The kids had taken things that they thought would be a problem for them, a temptation. Um, I had live uh, mouse traps all over the room, and they sat those temptations down by, you know, by the mouse traps. And then we talked about how do you, how do you resist the devil? And we looked at Jesus and what he did, you know, during the temptation. And so our four points, if you want to deal with the devil, uh, watch, be aware, he's like a roaring lion, and you don't want to be chased by a lion, um, and pray, Jesus used scripture, and so um, think about verses, you know, that you can use um, to deal with different, that you can quote to Satan, um, because Jesus did that. Um, as Satan approached him, he gave him scripture, and he said, this is why I'm not going to do what you're going to do. And so think about scriptures that can be used for various things. <coughs> and then just very practically saying no, because just like, they, just like Jesus spoke with Satan, we can speak with him as he tempts us also, and we can just tell him no. So anyway, just a, that's an aside from... No. Uh, every time I see that verse, I think about that lesson that I've been teaching for 30 years. So. Well, thank you. I, I want to tie into that because I, Susan, I think I think Susan is wrong <laughs> <laughs> in the fact that yeah. I, she said it doesn't have to do with meekness and humility, and I disagree with that. Yeah. I, I think it absolutely does because I one of my favorite definitions of humility is that humility is not thinking that you're nothing; it's thinking God is everything. And and I think if we're willing to submit ourselves to God, that is right. form and, of meekness. And through that, you knowing that God is everything gives you the ability to do exactly what Susan said every time. And that's and that's very hard to do sometimes because because of what James says and what we talked about earlier that that knowing that what was written so long ago is still pertinent today is because it's about human nature. Humans have never changed. And, and knowing yeah. that we can still use the same lessons. And so that's humans are still the same today as they were 2000 years ago when this was written, that yeah. it's very hard to, to do what James is telling us we need to do uh, in this because of human nature. But if we can, and we can know that God is everything, then we can then turn around and say, do exactly what she was saying. Perfect. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming to this class and giving me a few moments of sharing this with you. I enjoyed it. Uh, we did not get through the full book of James. But, you know, so thank you. I'll just say... I've been in the study of Romans with David Roper, and I'm, he's never made it to the end. <laughs> I, I haven't finished the class yet. So, um, I, I was going to announce, too, that going into next week, um, the two classes, if you haven't kept up with the schedule, the classes next week are uh, David Roberts is doing a class over, uh, it's an evangelism class. It will be in the fellowship. We're going to start out, and whether we need to flip or not, we don't know. It'll be in the in the fellowship hall. It is a a class nine weeks over, um, basically the kind of the ideas of what we believe, uh, what Scripture says, and what our 
um, what doctrine is, what is taught, and how you can present that to those out in the world based on what they believe and what their views are. Um, that's, the, that's the general idea. And then in here, uh, Jack will be teaching his class over the Unseen Realm, um, which uh, the, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that wrote the book, but the, uh, the book that he's done. He's, he's already done the class once on the Thursday morning class, I believe. Um, that he, he's done that class before um, and done a few bits and pieces of it, but he will be in here. Uh, for that class starting next week. He practiced on the Thursday Guinea pigs is what it was. <laughs> there were some comments uh, in, in some of the commentary, either David or uh, Mike Mavalongo, were talking about gossip. And there was three things to use, if you will, like a filter before you go on uh, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. ourselves, our speech, and so forth, is to think before you engage. <clears throat> I, think that, I, I think that actually came from uh, Albert Einstein. That's, that's, uh, that's something he asked every time someone had a gossip about one of his friends. Is it something positive towards them? Is it going to be beneficial to all of us? And then it, it, it was those three. And, uh, in other words, I don't, don't use that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's out there. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing, too, is that in, you hear that a lot. I think you hear it from adults, too, but you hear that a lot from kids where they, they will do the same thing. They take those three, but they stop at number one. And they will, I mean, because they'll say, why did you say it? Well, it's true. <laughs> okay, but that doesn't mean that you need, and, and that's, but I, I think adults do that a lot too. I, I think, and I think that's where social media becomes a, 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 a problem whenever it comes to those three, because whenever you're looking at somebody face to face, it's, as an adult, we often will be like, well, I'm going to go ahead and take it on to the next three, the next two steps. And, you know, it's like, well, I know it's true, but I'm not going to say that to your face. But whenever we can post it and we come, we become faceless, it, it's, it's easier to stop there. But the kids, a lot of times they don't ever look at the next two. Well, and they're, they're learning about, uh, we've become a me world. I mean, literally in the sense, when you talk about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yes. YouTube, everything. I mean, it's amazing the videos I see that people put put out. I'm like, did you watch this before you put it out? <laughs> I just I looked at Grace here, and, and uh, I see invasion. Grace is being kind. Yes. Okay, and it's, it's great. You give grace, but God is kind, is more gracious. He's more kind to us. In other words, He looks at us and wants us to be a certain way and he's not going to do anything to try to uh, not be nice. Yep. Well, thank you, everybody.